The only purpose of the Talking Space podcast is to educate and to inform. The views expressed in this program are the opinions, experiences, and conclusions of the guests. They do not represent the official policy or position of the Space Tweep Society as a whole, NASA, any other space agency, company, contractor, or affiliate. We choose to go to the moon. to this very special edition of Talking Space. This is Talking Space episode 308 for the week of February 27th, 2011. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me for this STS-133 special is Gene McCulka. How are you? Okay, Sawyer, and indeed, it's going to be a, a really fun show. I hope everybody enjoys it. Me too. Welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. Good to be talking about Discovery. Definitely. And later in the show, we will be joined by Gina Hurley, who was down at the Kennedy Space Center for the launch reporting for Talking Space. So let's kick it off. Let's go to the date of February 24th, 2011, the scheduled launch date of the Space Shuttle Discovery. All six crew members were on board. Everything was going according to plan until about the T-12 minute mark where there was a computer glitch. Am I right about that? Where was the computer glitch? Uh, it really wasn't NASA's computer. It was actually uh, brought to you by the United States Air Force, who oversees the uh, range safety aspects of the Kennedy Space Center. Um, they reported it was a, a computer glitch of some sort because of the nature of the computer glitch. I don't think they could go ahead and tell you know, ID to the whole world what it was. And since NASA's really got no control over it, uh, Mike Lundbach said, okay, fine, look, we'll go up, up to T-9, I'll go ahead and do my polls, um, I'll give you some time to psych out the, the computer problem, and we'll, we'll see what we can do to get this bird off. And uh, it was a nail-biter, right, Sawyer? Uh, that's <laughs> really for sure. was. I mean, when they got to the T-9 minute hold, when they finally got to the polling, uh, there was one point where, you know, they were going down and everything was go except for one person who said pending T minus five minute hold. In fact, they actually had to do the hold manually. If you were That's watching right. very closely. That's right. If you watch closely enough, you could see that the clock actually went down to T minus four minutes, 59 seconds, then jumped back up to five minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, this this was a nail biter right to the right to the end, and I believe they were just about ready to lose the launch window. I think they were seconds away from losing the launch window when the uh, range safety officer came in and said, "We're go," emphatically. So, I mean, it, this was just sort of <laughs> this was just sort of indicative of this whole whole launch process and the whole um, whole pre-launch process leading, you know, way away from, uh, I believe, the, the first launch attempt back in uh, in uh, early, no, late uh, late October, early November of last year. It just seemed like, you know, this, this sort of chain of causality, something was always going wrong, something was always biting you, right up to the time where, you know, we lost Tim Copra from the flight. So, 
you know, I, I mean, you almost wanted to hear, you know, I, I was talking to uh, to a friend of mine over the weekend about this whole thing. And I, and I said, you know, you almost wanted to hear organ music in the background from the old soap opera stuff, because that's exactly what this was sounding like. It was just like one little problem after another. But, you know, here here came Discovery. Um, she uh, she went ahead and uh, leaped off to to uh, to see the stars one more time. Um, just a, a few minutes late, but uh, she made it. But one actually update that I got from Peter King of CBS was, in fact, that it was a broken hip that he incurred. Okay, okay, that makes yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That would that would ground you. Because <laughs> it was a mystery for the longest time of what it was. So finally. Yeah, well, you know, again, there, there's the whole bit with medical confidentiality and all that, and you really don't want to, you know, pry or anything like that. If and if Tim is, is wants to go ahead and say, hey, I broke my hip, then then that's fine, you know. But uh, other other than that, I think NASA did the right thing, and and uh, you know, it, they dealt it, they they chalked it up to medical confidentiality, and and then then they played it the right way. So continuing along with the countdown, everything went down. Just as planned, till we got to the T minus six second point, and from there, discovery was all go. Go for main engine start. We have main engine start. Two, one, booster ignition, and the final liftoff of Discovery. A tribute to the dedication, hard work, and pride of America's space shuttle team. The shuttle has cleared the tower. So with that, she was on her way. The solid rocket booster separated at 2 minutes 7 seconds. And on her way up, we notice a little something occur that we've seen in plenty of shuttle missions. And unfortunately has crippled one. Uh, and that was another foam strike. And what's the word on the foam so far? Well, the word on the foam, it, it ha- the foam came off during, I, I believe, uh, what uh, Bill Gerstenmeier said during the, the post-launch press conference. It came off in an area during ascent that uh, uh, really doesn't give them a lot of concern. However, they are going to go ahead and take a look at this because it shouldn't have happened and uh, and study it further. Um, I I saw the, the, the strike and I'm like, well, that's new and exciting because it, it had happened before, but not exactly in that area. And you did kind of sort of see the thing sort of tumble and, and hit the the underbelly of the orbiter. Um, but uh, during, I believe, the uh, uh, the RPM of the uh, pitch maneuver, uh, you know, their battery of photographs were taken. Uh, they didn't see anything really, really stunning or, or remarkable about the underside of the orbiter. Uh, so much so that I believe discovery has been cleared already, um, and uh, there are there are going to be no um, focused inspections, if if I'm correct. As of right now, everything looks great from all the imagery they have. They have a feeling right now that it was high enough up that it was essentially close to microgravity, and that the impact if it had any force at all, would be minimal and non-damaging, so they are not worried in the least. I'd like to throw something in while we're talking about launch. The uh, mission patch for 133 was a uh, special patch designed by the late artist Robert McCall, and uh, you tend to just look at it, at least I do, and think that's a beautiful, beautiful image, beautiful picture. But, uh, of course, it has the crew's name, 
but discovery is ascending as the uh, the details I read about it explain discovery is ascending on a plume of flame as if it was just beginning a mission but it's just the orbiter no boosters no external tank and the significance of that is to show that this is discovery's completion of its operational life and beginning of a new role as a symbol of NASA and our proud legacy of human spaceflight. Just thought I'd throw that in. So with that, we successfully made it into orbit. The orbiter boom sensor system was used to take a look at the underside as well as the wings, the leading edges, and all aspects of the space shuttle discovery to make sure that there were no impacts during launch that could be damaging. After that, on flight day three, they successfully docked to the International Space Station at 2.14 p.m. Eastern Standard Time over the coast of Australia. Then the next day, they took a little rest, followed by EVA-1. And that was today, actually on February 28th, 2011. And Gene, can you give us a little synopsis of what occurred? Yeah, the the first task of the day was to go ahead and... uh, uh, Run a, a power cable. I think, think uh, Sawyer, just just watch me because I'm I'm not I'm not looking at my notes here. Um, I believe the the power cable is the J612 power extension cable uh, from Unity to Tranquility. Um, I I think that is just sort of an auxiliary um, uh, power type type thing, but it looks like uh, that went uh, that went well. Um, yeah, power began flowing as soon as they uh, they hit the, hit that thing. So it uh, as soon as they attached it and everything went well with that. The next um, uh, point was to go ahead and take our dear friend the uh, that failed ammonia pump, the one that went ahead and and caused all kinds of problems this past uh, late June July that time frame. Um, they were going to move it from where uh, I believe. Um, uh, Doug Wheelock and Tracy Caldwell Dyson left it, which was um, right by this little payload attachment, this uh, uh, payload attachment bracket, um, and they were going to move it over to an external stowage platform for uh, later retrieval by STS-134. I believe the mission is that mission is going to go ahead and retrieve that thing and bring that home. Um, they uh, so that went okay to you know the actual procedure went well, but it had a little bit of a, a little bit of a surprise. Um, the two folks that were that were quote flying close quote the robot robot arm that's uh, crewman Mike Barrett and uh, the uh, the uh, station commander uh, Scott Kelly uh, were going to go ahead and and help uh, help with the robotics on on that part of it and uh, Scott. Um, uh, Steve Bowen is uh, sort of, you know, hooked up to the other, to the business end of the arm, and he's holding the uh, the failed pump, and they're about ready to go ahead and and bring him over and and put him over by the uh, external stowage platform. There, they activate the um, console that's supposed to operate the arm in in the cupola, and the console goes dark. <laughs> Right, just as they're as they're as they're ready to go ahead and and start flying the arm. Um, so here's here's Steve Bowen. He's got this this pump, which is sort of ungainly, if you recall. Um, he's he's sort of hanging on to this thing, and um, they have to quickly run from the cupola. You know, they meaning Mike Barrett and uh, 
Scott Kelly. They they quickly have to run from the cupola over to the Destiny Lab, activate the uh, the uh, robotic arm station there, so this way the EVA can can continue. And that kind of set them back about maybe you know, 15, 20 minutes while that happened. And you know, I'm, I'm sure Steve Bowen didn't didn't mind it so much because it it kind of gave him an opportunity to kind of drink in the scenery, you know. And I'm sure Alvin Drew, being the uh, uh, on his first spacewalk, and incidentally, just a, as a little bit of an asterisk on this whole thing, Alvin Drew today became the 200th human being to go, go ahead and conduct a uh, a spacewalk. So uh, hats off to Alvin being the new veteran and having that uh, uh, honor next to him. And I, I kind of, as uh, that uh, little piece of information was fed off to me, I kind of thought of uh, Alexei Leonov and, uh, and Ed White, um, who uh, Leonov was the first human to go ahead and perform a, uh, an extravehicular activity, and Ed White was the first American to do it. And I thought about those two. and everybody else that has had that honor and it's like wow number 200 we've come a long way in a very short time too because this 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 particular eva was a pretty you know sophisticated ballet um it also should be noted too that uh they had a little help from um from one of their friends on the ground uh tim copra who was in uh the mission control center during eva one and and was sort of helping out and Making sure that uh, everything went well, and was adding his advice when he he could, uh, when he can give it. And um, I I thought that was a neat deal where he was able to come back in and and support his uh, his crewmates uh, who uh, who he trained with. So that was kind of kind of neat. Um, but after the uh, the little glitch with the console, they were able to go ahead and get the uh, the pump secure, and. Uh, the next step was to go ahead and install a little bit of a camera wedge, and uh, uh, that was to go ahead and make sure that there's one camera. I'm trying to remember exactly where this camera in camera is um, uh, on on the station, but uh, it was basically to just go ahead and reposition it, and they got that that uh, set up and uh, that worked just fine afterward. Um, they uh, the next step was to go ahead and install a uh, bunch of little uh, uh, rails onto the uh, crew equipment and uh, translation aid, or CETA. Um, this was for, for use later on. And the final uh, task of the EVA, and somebody actually, I, I noticed on Twitter, somebody was actually sort of complaining about this one and saying it was a waste of time, was a little bit of a JAXA uh, experiment uh, called Message in a Bottle. And I thought it was kind of funny when... Uh, they began to install that. I guess Nicole Stott, who is the uh, choreographer for this whole thing, um, actually played the police's message in a bottle as they went ahead to, to uh, conduct the installation of that thing. And uh, what this is, 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 as the name implies, is a, is a small bottle. I, I haven't seen a photograph of it, I, 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 will, I will admit here. But what they want to do is expose this, this open container if you will, to the vacuum of space and then close the container while it's still out there. So in this way, what's inside is essentially the vacuum of space. And I guess it's going to make a tour of uh, museums in, in Japan once it returns. But again, this is a JAXA critter. And uh, somebody was sort of like saying, well, all that money just to do that, what a waste of time. Well, you know, it's, it, it, it has some some merit, I think, from, from an imagination standpoint. And I'm sure kids 
are going to go ahead and take a look at that and be awed a little bit. So, uh, uh, so again, I believe the EVA ended at about uh, uh, 5.20 uh, Eastern time. I think it began at about uh, 10.46 Eastern. Uh, that put it at about 6 hours, 34 minutes. Um, and uh, so, but it, it all went uh, fairly well, well considering the, the little, little gotchas that got thrown at them. Yep, and later in the mission, there is one more spacewalk scheduled. And I believe that is what uh, uh, I'm looking at the schedule here. I believe that's on flight day seven, uh, which is um, on March 2nd. So uh, we'll see how that all goes. Also, one of the uh, activities for uh, March 1st uh, tomorrow um, will be the installation of the permanent multipurpose module or PMM. Uh, formerly formerly known as Leonardo. I think it will still be called Leonardo, um, but for uh, you know, engineering purposes, they're going to call it the PMM. And uh, this is, has been sort of a little cargo container that they have been using to go ahead and send material to the International Space Station uh, as it sits in, in the uh, payload bay of the shuttle, and uh, it usually comes back down. This one won't. It will take on uh, the duty of a small, uh, and small, it's about the size of the Columbus module, um, the duty of, of, of taking, you know, basically becoming a closet. And uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's a big need for storage space up there at this point. So uh, uh, Leonardo is going to come in real handy uh, as, far as, uh, as far as the International Space Station's storage problems are concerned. It's going to solve a lot of them. Mark, you had, some, you had some stuff you wanted to add about uh, Leonardo. A couple of interesting tidbits. Uh, we're talking about the multi-purpose logistics modules as they were originally designated. There's Leonardo, there's Raffaello, and Donatello. Leonardo's flown seven flights, and it's on its eighth. Raffaello has flown three times. Donatello's never flown, however. Um, when Leonardo is birthed to the ISS... The uh, team that's been a part of its prep for this flight, including uh, Scott Higginbotham, the NASA mission manager for this payload, he made the statement. He said, we're sad Leonardo's leaving, but excited it's not going to a museum, but to the ISS. And uh, that kind of makes you feel like Leonardo is uh, the uh, top grade point average of its class in, in some ways. But uh, when it's birthed to the ISS... The entire uh, U.S. and Italian team signed a banner, and after Leonardo's birth, the banner's going to be brought out. It'll be hung in the station. Astronauts will take pictures. They're going to commemorate the event, and the banner's going to be brought back and put on display in Italy, and I think that's pretty neat. Um, the other two modules that remain on Earth, the Raffaello and Donatello, they have a future, too, because if STS-135 is funded, Raffaello is manifested to fly again. And depending on follow-on programs and who knows what's going to happen in the years to come, Donatello may get a chance to fly again. Out of a NASA publication called Spaceport News, and uh, thanks for their interesting write-up. To, to just preface one thing, the, uh, the uh, uh, multipurpose logistic modules, or MPLMs, uh, were first uh, you know, designed, if I recall, and built in Torino, Italy which is why, you know, there, there's the Italian connection there. 
and uh, they were actually named uh, after the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, by uh, Italian school children. So uh, it, there also is a possibility, too, and, and I'm trying to exactly remember where I read this, that um, the remaining two uh, MPLMs may also have the same fate as uh, Leonardo at some point in time. Uh, there's a possibility of actually them going up to the International Space Station and becoming little closets. So we'll have to see what happens. Hate to uh, hate to throw this in because it seems like I'm dashing a good story, but uh, according to the article that I'm reading, Leonardo was named for Leonardo da Vinci. The middle one, Raffaello, was for the artist Raffaello Sanzio, and the last, Donatello, was for sculptor. Donato di Niccolo Ibeto Bardi. Pardon my pronunciation. I'm not Italian. I like your Italian but, accent, actually. <laughs> but it but it looks like I just ate in an Italian restaurant the other day too. So. <laughs> looks looks like the Italians, uh, European Space Agency, uh, had historic things in mind rather than popular entertainment. Oh well. Oh, by the way, while we're talking about the uh, lighter side of uh, of the mission, I saw a picture on Flickr by NASA Robonaut showing R2A waving goodbye with the uh, shuttle launching across the water in the background with R2B, of course, on board. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that has to be great. Oh, that is too cool. Mark, I'm sorry I missed that. Oh, man, that's incredible. So, uh, you know, we've got our own way of generating excitement. My hat, <laughs> hats off to the Japanese and hope that uh, some of their young and old get uh, a, little, a little bit of pride and a little bit of, uh, a little bit of positive thoughts in, in, their, in their thinking in the future when it comes time to spend money on their program. Indeed, and I, I think that's what, that me- that's what Message in a Bottle is all about. It's to go ahead and, and to to inspire and to, to, to bring that little bit of awe into young and old alike. And uh, I, I hope it succeeds in its mission. I really do. And Mark, we if, if that is uh, is under common uh, license there, if it's like a NASA product or something like that, that photograph, we've got to get that on the site. That is just too cool. <laughs> I just sent you the link. Oh, cool. We've got to do that. Yep, that'll be in the show notes. Definitely. So basically, when it came to that, there was, you know, this launch has been delayed since November 1st due to multiple issues. And uh, there was one other event that was supposed to go on that did continue on all the way through till February. And uh, I know, Mark, you've been part of one. Gene, you've been part of one. And I think I'm the only one that hasn't been part of one. And what is this one that we discuss? Ah, Yes. I'll leave it up to you, sir. Go for it. That would be the STS-133 NASA launch tweet-up. Yeah, this was um, one. This was uh, as it was billed by the attendees. This was NASA tweet-up 2.0. Uh, as everybody that that participated in the event, uh, NASA tweet-up 1.0 for STS-133 happened. Um, around October 31st through through uh, November 1st, which was supposed to be the original launch date. And as always, NASA went ahead, rolled out the red carpet for these 150 lucky folks that were able to attend, attend this. And uh, 
they actually ran into a little bit of a glitch because Discovery kept on kind of throwing them curveballs, and and uh, uh, they managed to go ahead and and put on what I thought still, you know, from afar looked like one heck of a cool event. Um, this they actually went where where no tweet up had gone before. They actually visited the inside the interior of the vehicle assembly building. Um, and, uh, you know, that alone, um, I'm envious as heck over because I've always wanted to, wanted to just get into that in that place and just sort of say, wow, this is where the Saturns were assembled. This is where the, the shuttles, shuttle stack is put together today. And uh, this is where I hope um, this heavy lift booster that, that we're planning to get together by 2016 is going to be assembled and, and rolled out to the pad and, and it will carry on whatever mission it's going to carry on. Um, uh, so the, the folks that organized that particular event, you know, really, really hats off to them. They, they, they tried to make some, uh, uh, lemonade out of the lemons that the technological lemons that were thrown at them. And, and they did, did quite well. Uh, they invited everybody that was, uh, going there, uh, or excuse me, everybody that was that was in, initially invited to tweet up 1.0 to come back to see the launch of Discovery uh, in February, and um, a good amount of them, I believe, um, it, I, I misquoted last week. I believe I, I had originally said 88. Uh, a couple sources told me about 105 of the folks out of the 150 that were were there for the initial one uh had returned to uh to see discovery off which i thought was really really neat and i believe too they were also uh uh had a bit of a friend as well watching the whole thing i believe that was the friend that you mark alluded to uh robonaut uh the the uh, backup robonaut for the for the flight was out there as well uh, watching the launch with uh, with with the tweet up folks, so uh, again hats up. from what I saw on Twitter, um, so I, I was also kind of sort of you know uh, tweeting the launch. Um, from what I saw on Twitter and all the all the uh, the buzz that was going on about it, uh, NASA tweet up 2.0 uh, went off extraordinarily well. And uh, once again, you know hats off to everybody over at uh, over at NASA for for putting that all together. I'm sure uh, you, you, you put smiles on 105 faces and uh, those 105 faces are going to go back to their towns and, and uh, their families and with, with some incredible stories. And uh, they'll go ahead and they'll spread the word. So, again, hats off. And they have the record for the longest tweet up in history. That's right. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> When it came to the tweet up, none of us actually got into the tweet up because none of us applied. <laughs> However, Mark and Gina were there on press passes, but nobody applied for the tweet up, which meant we had absolutely nothing to do with it. So what did we do? We gave a recorder to Craftlass, who's been on the show before, and asked her to head on down to the tweet up, which she got accepted into, and get some interviews, get some scoop, and a little... What's what on the tweet up? And we got some great interviews from her. Yeah, we did. Um, sorry, do you want to introduce the first one? This this first one, when I first played it back, really, really got to me. 
Um, you know, we've all had uh, moments like this before in our lives, and uh, this one, I'll, I'll admit, I got a little choked up with. I'd say let's just play it. Let her introduce herself, and it's a story you definitely do not want to tune out for. My name is Felice Banner, and my Twitter name is Felice Banner, and I'm Felice Banner in all of my social media venues. So, um, and I am a, I teach digital storytelling, I teach information design, I teach communication through new media, and I, my area of expertise is the visual representation of relational data, and I develop online learning programs. It's very impressive. And I'm a performance poet and storyteller. So, Fantastic. And that was my story. So in a how, nutshell. How did you feel about today? Today was overwhelming for me. And as we drove in, my comment was, I'm tweetless. Because I really was. Um, so my my whole story is my father died in December of last year. My dad worked on Apollo. He worked on a whole bunch of space stuff. And I grew up surrounded by space junk. And when getting there, I thought I was going to be fine. And when I saw the building and it was there and it was big, it was it was just sad. So, and I kind of held it together until one person walked up to me and said, how you doing? Is your dad here with you? And I thought, nah. So, it was, I'm not a quiet person, and I was quiet today. It was just a little overwhelming. Yeah, Sawyer, that one really, when I first played it back, um, when I, because I, I, I kind of did some editing before we, we, we came in, and I, I listened to that, and I was like, Wow. Um, just having that that one moment and and having first off such an incredible place connect be be connected with a family member that, that's number one but having you know that connection with with your dad and in such an extraordinary environment um I mean I, I got chills and I got choked up listening to that that was that was incredible it was just an incredible piece yeah it's just. Uh, it was just so powerful. Yeah, yeah, it's the only word I, I could come up with. I mean, it, it, she she really, really, wow, and she took my breath away in plain English. Uh, uh, she really did. Now, while down there, she also got to interview some other great people that uh, got to give us their insights on what they thought of the tweet up. And uh, just remember, when you're hearing these, these were recorded in early November. So this isn't the one in February. We These were recorded during the original tweet-up at the beginning of November. So as you're hearing them talking about hoping for the launch the next day, we're talking either November 2nd or 3rd or whatever launch attempt these were recorded on. So who shall we talk to next? Okay, um, why don't we talk to somebody, Sawyer, that kind of sort of has the same Twitter name you do? All right, I'll admit it. I'm married. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But we are going to hear from someone whose Twitter name is the NASA Lady. And uh, here's the clip from the NASA Lady, courtesy of the NASA Man. This is the NASA lady. I feel the tweet up is important because for me and for everyone else, it allows us to connect with our followers, our friends, our family, and our students and other members of the educational community. We are able to bring 
live coverage of our experiences and all of us experience what's going on in a different way. Many of us are awestruck, others are speechless. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity for just about every single one of us. And the fact that now we're not just here watching, but we're actually using Twitter as a communication tool that can broadcast what we're feeling, what we're seeing, and what we're doing in real time as we experience it so others can watch our tweets, they can follow us, they can see our pictures, and they can, for probably most of the young people I work with, for the first time in their lives get a up-close-and-personal view of the launch pad, the shuttle itself, Kennedy Space Center, all the wonderful speakers that we've talked with yesterday and we will talk with tomorrow. We'll be live at the launch, which is something that is going to be just phenomenal. And for Twitter to have partnered with NASA and afford us this chance to be in an area that we normally would not be and to meet all the wonderful other Twitter participants is it's, it's, it's just absolutely fabulous. So hats off and thumbs up to NASA for embracing Twitter and offering the opportunity for those of us that got in the tweet up to be here. And we are going to make sure that everybody on the planet knows what a wonderful opportunity and experience the tweet up is. So this is the NASA lady. Over a question for you, actually. Okay. What was your favorite thing yesterday? Of all the things we saw and did. <laughs> My favorite thing yesterday was probably... Robonaut. That was by far the the coolest coolest thing to see that NASA and GM have developed the technology. Have been working for three years. Yes, go Michigan. The best stuff seems to come out of Michigan. <laughs> that they created a humanoid type robot that will be able to interface with the astronauts on the International Space Station in a way that will assist them in doing mission objectives on the space station. And not so much as a machine-type robot or like one of the rovers, but actually, and this is taking us to the future, but looking at yeah, Terminator, iRobot, um, any of our sci-fi futuristic things that we have associated with robots going rogue, but it appears that Robonaut is being well-controlled and well-programmed, and it's going to be an asset on the International Space Station. And one of the things that I'm thinking they could actually, as they start producing more robonauts, have these type of humanoid-like robots on space flights. And if they can control them from a mission control center, or they can program the robot to do certain tasks autonomously while in a space capsule or on a rocket, the robonaut can actually start doing more missions, perhaps going 
further to test whether or not it would be safe to actually launch humans at a certain distance in space. And Robonaut might be the very first entity to travel outside of our solar system and see what lies out there beyond. So we'll have to wait for developments on that, but that was the best. Yeah, this is great. So yeah, same name, similar name at least, but uh, it, it sounds like she's enjoying herself. Yeah, same thoughts too. Um, she, you know, again, it, it going to these places that you don't see, you only see on television, or you know, they just seem so remote, so detached for you on television. Going there and actually, you know, being a part of all of this, it, it kind of changes your perspective a little bit on on the whole on the whole thing. It's no longer detached. You point to to the television and you say, "Yeah, I've been there." You know, and 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 it it's it's not this detached thing anymore. It's actually a place, you know. And and I think that's that's one of the things that these tweet ups do. They make you know NASA not this 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 kind of detached thing anymore. It is actually real for these people. It's 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 for anybody that goes there. And if you know, again, I I will, I've said this before. If if another tweet up happens and you're able to go, sign up for it, please. By the way, I, I just have to say that guy in the background should have shouted, go New Jersey, even though Romanaut <laughs> 2 was made in Michigan. <laughs> well, yeah. Still, go Jersey. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> now, we also got to talk to Smith. 5SE, and she had her own little insights on the tweet up when she spoke to Craftless. I am Smith 5SE. Well, at Smith 5SE. Sorry. Uh, so, what have your, been your impressions of the tweet up so far? This is by far the greatest experience ever. Um, with this hopefully being my fifth launch, I see once Discovery gets off the pad tomorrow. This has been the launch that I've been the most excited for. It's tied with my 130 experience, and I have to say that. <laughs> but I just have been in awe with how everyone has come together and mingled. And it is about the launch, but we've all said time and time again, particularly those of us in the big house, that even if it doesn't launch through in this window, this has still been the best Florida trip ever most of us have ever had. And we're very grateful for the folks at NASA TweetUp for getting this together because usually space nerds like us don't really congregate in one area. <laughs> so what was your favorite thing yesterday? Oh, gosh. Well, Robonaut, of course, but everyone's going to say Robonaut, and I got to squeeze his muscles. Mm. <laughs> what did that feel like? Oh, it was it was really neat, like the texture lining they have of them. It's kind of like a nylonish type feeling fabric. So it was kind of it was kind of neat, you know. You're like touching a robot, but it's smooth and it doesn't feel metal. And you're going, mm, this is really weird. And um, but I also enjoyed immensely the fact that uh, Bill Gerstmeier brought in a piece similar to what has delayed Discovery all along and kind of walked us through that and. I'm very grateful that he did because it's kind of interesting to see such a small little piece on a big machine can 
just bump everything to the right even more. Um, and uh, in fact, you got to hold that. Yeah, piece. yeah, it was kind of cool. <laughs> I got to hold a piece of a space shuttle. <laughs> Every nerd's dream. Um, yeah, it was wicked cool. Um, and I tweeted out photos of it. So if people wanna do the painstaking task of going back through my feed, they can see it. Um, and also trying on, getting to try on the uh, ACS suit glove that was kind of neat the minute they asked does anyone want and i was like me 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 and yeah i may have felt and acted like a six-year-old but it was so cool i think there's been a lot of acting like a six-year-old for us in the, but it's in the best way yeah it is <laughs> just some learning it's it what how how fun carrying around a rubber chicken can be too <laughs> Oh, yeah, we should probably say for anyone who doesn't know, the rubber chicken is Camilla SDO, who you can follow at at Camilla underscore SDO. And she's been with the Tweet Up gang the whole time. There's been pictures uploaded. She's also on Facebook and has been posting lots of pictures, and there's going to be many more to come once people get them off their cameras. So there seems to be a common theme here. It's that women like muscular robots... (laughs) <laughs> well she's actually kind of cool I've, I've i've met her before um at uh when we were down there for uh at, for, for the sds 132 event and uh, uh she, she's also quite a quite a, a a really cool young lady um and she's got uh one of the up-and-comers um i'm i'm quite impressed every time i talk to her so uh, again, uh, a huge thank you for uh, stopping by with Craftless uh, and uh, talking to her for a little bit about uh, her experiences. And of course, I have to agree with her too on the STS-130 bias. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> now, you heard them talking about Camilla SDO in that segment. Well, Craftless actually had a chance to interview Camilla, and this is how it went. Okay, so I am here with one of the biggest VIPs of them all, if not the biggest VIP, judging by the cheers she got yesterday at the Tweet Up tent, Miss Camilla SDO, at Camilla underscore SDO, our very important poultry. And it's great to have you with us. So, Camilla, how did you enjoy the first day of NASA Tweet Up? Fantastic. And now you've been down here for a little bit longer than just the tweet up, and you've gotten to meet some really cool people, right? Like, first day was Mike Mullane, and then we you bumped into Charlie Bolden a couple times, right? Very exciting stuff. Definitely. Now, you've also gotten to meet an awful lot of the tweeps, correct? What's it like to be part of the tweep group this time? Yeah, we feel much the same way. So thank you so much for talking to me. And enjoy the rest of the tweet up. 
And we also have the chance to talk to another person. So uh, let's let her introduce herself and talk a little bit about her experiences in the STS-133 tweet-up. First, uh, tell us your Twitter name. It's at Feeden, P-H-I-D-E-N. But uh, I was walking out of the of the conference room yesterday after Robonaut, and I was having a cow. You know, this is so cool. I was freaking out. I thought it was amazing. And I hear someone behind me go, thank you. And I turn around, and it was one of Robonaut's team members who had packed him up for Discovery to get up, you know, to, to launch. And he thought it was very cool that we were all freaking out and having a great time looking at Robonaut. And went over and had a conversation with him, and I go, you must be a proud papa you know, watching Robonaut get ready to launch. And he goes, this is the closest thing I have to children, and it's amazing. And just he looked so happy and so proud and so thrilled that we were all so thrilled that that just made the whole thing that much better. Fantastic. So how's the overall experience been so far? Oh, amazing. <laughs> amazing. I think we're all completely geeking out. I mean, this is access that most of us don't get. It's something I don't know that NASA has ever done. Uh, well, in the past... They've been doing it a lot more recently, but I think it's very cool that they're reaching out and letting us have these experiences and have this access to stuff that you know we all love and ordinarily wouldn't get to see. Yep, I'm definitely sensing a common thread here. <laughs> <laughs> I am definitely sensing a common thread here, but it it does you know it does give an impact you know going to these places and and seeing these these folks, meeting all these people it does go ahead and make an impact on you. And, and I'm glad that a lot of new faces got down to, uh, to see this and hopefully a lot new, more new faces will, will go ahead and, and get in there and, and be able to go ahead and take all these experiences back home and translate to them to everybody they meet. Because uh, uh, again, it, it's, <laughs> you, 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 you're, you you've got memories emblazoned in your head after that for you're, you're going to have memories emblazoned in your head head after an experience like that for you know probably for the rest of your life definitely to think all this because of a little social media site called twitter and just how nasa has used the social media it's been great and i think that phyllis banner put it really well and uh, i think we should go back to her for that clip indeed sir run that i think she had some really great observations Right. Well, most of the research that I do is in social media and building community online with social media tools. So I've written a lot in academia about what it means to use these tools to sort of display yourself in these online environments. And I think that the group of us that got together in this house were, uh, what's, what's interesting, and I was talking to Ron was the one who mentioned it, is there's a group that formed immediately to grab a house. And all of us really do fit together. And then the next group that came together kind of all fit together. And it's because I think it's levels of risk that there were 15 of us willing to say, you know, yes, there's no serial killer in this group or something. That we know and of. That we know of. But I did a background so, check on everyone. I'm being good. So, yeah. I'm being good. <laughs> and, um, Just give him the lotion. And so it's really interesting that we all did come together. And what happened... Uh, is when someone dropped out, there were a couple people who said they wanted in, and looking at their profiles and them not having been active on the Gmail list or not having been active on Twitter, it made me uncomfortable because they didn't have a public presence out there, and it was like, we all have a public presence, which meant we could all you know, walk around around each other, and it would be okay for me to laugh as loud as I do in front of every single one of you, and that's important. And I think that this community that's been formed around our common interest is the 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 realization of all of my 
virtual research. I mean, it's a realization. That's so NASA's funny. really promoting themselves and doing some great stuff. Yeah, and and I believe if if I recall what we just heard correctly, um, that's her forte. You know, she studies social media and its impacts and so on. And if if somebody who actually looks at social media from a you know a, a scientific standpoint looks at this and goes, hey, you know, NASA's got it right. Uh, something something's got to something has got to be happening right over there. So. Um, I'm glad you know, again that uh, that NASA's efforts are being uh, being looked at and with uh, with favor on this. Without a doubt. Now, actually, here's what we should do. We had our very own roving reporter Gina Hurley down at the Kennedy Space Center. She was there for us with Mark also back in November, and uh, she was also there again for the launch on February 24th. She had her own little observations that she made about her stay down there and her viewing of the launch and uh gina glad to have you with us tonight and uh i'm looking forward to hearing this let me hear a little bit about your experiences down at the kennedy space center for the sts 133 launch now the launch of discovery this week was a culmination of 115 days of a series of scrubs that dated all the way back until november i was a participant at the 132 NASA launch tweet-up. And I was definitely somewhat annexed on to the STS-133 launch tweet-up. I spent a lot of time with some of those participants socially and uh, did interact with them a little bit at the launch press site. Um, there was definitely a vibe at the press site. People were definitely ready, ready to see a launch. So many people had traveled back. Uh, there was 150 people invited to the NASA tweet-up. I think about 105 or 106 actually made the trip to return, which, you know, considering that's um, f- um, financed by themselves and time off from work and juggling families and other responsibilities at home, that's quite impressive. And I had a good feeling all week. I mean, the weather was picture-perfect and forecasted so. Um you know, a few days prior before the launch, uh, there were no mechanical issues being worked. The countdown started with no um, issues that needed to be worked through during the countdown. So I had a very good feeling that that Thursday afternoon we were going to see a launch. And a launch we had, it was um, impressive. It never gets old. Standing at the launch press site, the winds were blowing in our direction The sound was incredibly loud, louder than I remember it uh, for 132. Of course, the bright, the glare of the solids going, um, just incredible. And uh, I actually took uh, my iPhone and put it on the video mode to try and record the launch. My eyes were focused on the shuttle, but uh, I had my arm extended so I could just see peripherally that I had the shuttle focused in the shot. And the sound waves were so loud for the iPhone microphone that the microphone just cut out when it got at its loudest peak. So um, I hope I captured the sound of the launch pretty good in another clip we'll show next week. By the way, how many launches have you been to? Hmm. Um, 
Well, I could inflate that number by how many launches I've seen standing in Disney World. Uh, I gotta, you know what? I gotta sit down and count that out. I'll go. I'll have to report back to you on that one. All <laughs> right. We'll definitely have to find out that next week. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, judging by some of the photographs she's been sending back to, I am insanely jealous. <laughs> what? You mean you'd like to meet uh, Charles Bolden, the uh, head of NASA, essentially? <laughs> I I actually would love to to just have five mi- five quality minutes with him and just talk about you know his not only his experiences as an astronaut but also his experiences as an administrator and you know basically the guy calling the shots and trying to to you know, sort of juxtapose those 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 two those two jobs and just say, you know, which one to him does he find a heck of a lot more challenging? Was it was it uh, to command the commander of a shuttle flight or running the agency? Um, or, you know, just where does he really, really see the future going? I would love to talk to him about that. Just five minutes. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping Gina did could uh, go ahead and, and give us a little bit more insight on that when, uh, when we talk to her later. Definitely. I know she also got to talk with somebody that Gene, you and I spoke to via teleconference, but she mm-hmm. actually got to meet Leland Melvin, who's now head of education at NASA. Indeed. And another gentleman I would love, love to talk to one on one as far as his uh, um, his outreach plans for the future, uh, especially now post shuttle. Uh, he talked a little bit about that, Sawyer, uh, when and I believe we played that that clip uh, at, on a show uh, previously. But um, I'm sure those, those plans are even further crystallizing, and, and I would love to go ahead and spend some time with him to talk about that. Definitely. Plus, while down there, Gina got some amazing videos. So those videos will be posted on our website, and you can find those videos at TalkingSpaceOnline.com. Now, to close it off, we, of course, have to say thank you for Gina for being down there. And to finish this segment, we let Craftlass record her own observations of what she thought of the tweet-up, and... Her comments were very in-depth and deep and, and just great. You you have to listen to this. Hi, this is Craftlass, uh, and uh, I'm at Craftlass on Twitter. And I've been trying to collect impressions, and, of course, most of us have the same thing to say. The coolest thing so far has been Robonaut. Uh, I got to touch him, and I was sitting five feet away from him. Um, I and... Uh, Kiki Girl AU have, we, we were sitting directly in front of him, like five feet away, and watching him go through his paces at that close of a distance, and then getting up and getting to take pictures with him and uh, getting to touch him. It, it was mind-blowing because this is the future. This is something that if he's successful, the one that's actually going to space, if this is a successful program, it opens up worlds of possibility, especially the fact that robots just don't get fatigued. <laughs> and we will always need humans in space, in my opinion, because there's some things that even the best robots probably will never be able to do because the human brain is just that complex. But the way that they made Robonaut and the way that he's actually keeping... he he's designed to keep the astronauts safe when they're working with him. And so he's a team member, just like any human. 
and unlike any machine before. And the fact that he is so humanoid was really interesting. We actually, um, one, one guy asked about uh, why he looks the way he does, and they, uh, <laughs> they said um, he, he kind of looks like uh, he's from Halo or something. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, he's truly humanoid. If you even have, with the pack on his back, he looks like he's wearing an EVA suit. It's pretty incredible, just with the more colors involved. So to sit that close and watch him go through his paces was amazing. But, of course, the best part of this experience has been the people. People are what make it. Um, the, the only reason we have a functional space program is the people behind it. And the only reason it has support is people like us. And we need to share that as much as possible. And we are uh, out in our normal lives. But that means a lot of telling people things they don't know. And here, while we all know different things and we're sharing and we're all learning from each other, not just from our talks, but from each other, from sitting around having conversation. We also all have the same appreciation for it and we actually get as excited as the person who's speaking about it, which is really rare. Like, I can talk about space to my friends and they're like oh that's cool but then I talk about the same thing with one of like my big housemates and they're like wow that's great and it's the same level of excitement that I had when I learned it and it goes in both directions and you know they counter with something else that's really cool that I didn't know and so it's we're learning and growing 24 hours a day 7 days a week down here well I guess for those of us who are down here for 7 days and we also have learned the lesson of being a space geek <laughs> means having a lot of patience and being able to roll with the punches and change your schedule on the fly. I was lucky. I was prepared for this. I got lucky at 1.31 that it launched on time. So I was prepared for, you know, to not ever have that luck again. So I don't even have a return ticket home yet. But... You know, I'm here through the window, but some people do have to leave, and that's really heartbreaking because we all came such a long way, and some people haven't seen a launch and they're not going to get to this time. And I really hope that we can share our experience. You know, now that we're all friends in person, I'm hoping they can really live vicariously through those of us who can stay and feel like they're part of it because they are. They will we'll feel them sitting next to us and through the whole thing, no matter where they are. So I just really hope that this bird flies at some point this week and we don't all miss out on lunch. <laughs> um, if the window, if, we, if it ends up being put, pushed back to February, I'll be back down. But some people just can't do that. So we're very lucky we got to have our tweet up almost on time so that at least people could experience the tweet-up part and see the shuttle on the pad from oh so close. Uh, and they had their tour yesterday, the people who are leaving, mine is today. And I can't wait to see everything on it.
I've, I've been to KSCVC before and taken the tour, the regular tours, and I can't wait to see it more in depth. So I'd say the best, the best part of this experience is the people, especially the people who are staying in the big house together and the beta house. We've really all been a team together. We've spent all our time together outside of the tweet up as well and become very, very good friends. And it, we're, like a, we're like puzzle pieces that just fit together perfectly. And you can't plan for that. You, we, uh, we, not a, a lot of us didn't know each other even on Twitter yet until we got into the tweet up and we started interacting and started planning to stay in a house together. So I went from like people who were complete strangers in August, I didn't even know they existed, to these are good friends that I hope I have for the rest of my life. And that's what really makes tweet up special. As much as the events are wonderful and we're enjoying them immensely. It's what goes on around them that puts it over the top. So thank you, NASA, for bringing this wonderful group of people together. And, you know, thank you to everybody who put together the houses and who worked so hard to help out a bunch of strangers who in many cases couldn't have afforded to come a lot of us just don't have the money to stay in hotels at launch and with the prices. And if it weren't for the actions of our fellow tweet uppers, we wouldn't even really be able to be here. So I'm very grateful to, you know, our whole family because we are a family now. Is that not great to hear? All I'm going to say is this classic craft lass. I know her personally and um, I know how deep she believes in the program i know how, how what a what a believer she is in uh in the humanities reach for the stars and she she's she's one of us and uh i'm i'm just honored to know her i mean she really she really is a, a cool person and i just want to go ahead and extend a a huge thank you um for for getting for collecting these interviews for us and uh uh again thank thanks a whole bunch she uh, kind of Played pinch hitter for us. I know uh, Jeff Setzer of uh, uh, Astronomy Out and About fame was supposed to go ahead and and uh, help us out a little bit with with the color end of this, but unfortunately he was unable to do it. But uh, uh, cast, uh, but good old uh, Craft Last went ahead and and pinched hit for us and and hit one hit this right out of the park. So again, a huge thank you to her. That's for sure. We got some great interviews and sounds like they had a great time there's only one way that we can uh, even get close to what that is and that's to uh, hopefully be down there for STS 134 but we still have to wait for 133 to land <laughs> yep 133 is still in progress and uh, so far the mission's going well and we'll probably go ahead and, and have a wrap up and uh, on the, or a, you know, a report on how things are going uh, next week that and we may be able to get some more audio clips from Gina as well from some of her interviews oh I hope so now STS-133 of course was the major story this week but uh, Mark I know there's a couple of launches coming up on March 4th Uh, can you fill us in on the March 4th launch schedule well the uh, rescheduled launch of Glory is set 
for that date off of uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base. And a surprise that uh, I remember thinking about, it seems like months and months ago, but lo and behold, on the same day, there's going to be a uh, Atlas V launch with the OTV-2. And the OTV-2, if you remember, is the orbital test vehicle. This is their second test launch. It's a uh, military payload. And I believe the OTV-1 actually stayed in orbit. And uh, we talked about it having maneuvering capability. And uh, it also was an auto-land spacecraft when it did come back. And uh, OTV-2 is going to launch on March 4th. One from each coast. One from Kennedy and one from Vandenberg. Mark, this isn't the infamous X-37B, is it? That, yes. That we were, it is. Okay, great. Yes. Now, now I'm on the same page. Yes. All X-37B, right. it's their second test flight, and uh, they refer to it as capability of being on orbit up to 270 days. So uh, Wikipedia has a page for it. If you just search for OTV2, it looks like they've got it set up for observations by uh, Skywatchers to put in some tracking information and uh, of course for tracking heavensabove.com is a great site to uh to look for stuff too and also i cannot leave out my old buddy nano sale d there's some great uh sighting opportunities on the east coast of the u.s uh through march 7th so check that out and uh if it wasn't cloudy all up the east coast tonight it would have been a good night but check that out, too, because NanoCLD has been photographed, and there is a prize with a first prize of $500, I believe I read, uh, for somebody catching a photo of NanoCLD as it goes over. Wow. Uh, well, I hope, I hope whoever, I'd love to be the person to win that. But uh, um, just a real quick question, Mark. The, the problem with glory this week i believe it wasn't the booster itself um but a, a ground issue at vandenberg that's that's messing things up if i'm not Boy, mistaken if, if we could just get spacecraft in space and not have to hang around on the ground they'd probably do a lot better <laughs> to, to tell you the truth i i knew there was troubleshooting taking place but i haven't seen the outcome of it uh did they? I think there was some ground sequencer equipment. I'm using right. long term, but uh, no, the, no, you're right. You're right. That's what I. That's what I heard too. The other thing too, Mark, that boggles my mind on on, on this one. The X-37B is a military project, right? And and we have already, you know, amateur astronomers ready to try to go ahead and track this thing and and you know figure out what its orbit is and, and and so on. So nothing really stays a secret very long, does it? No, it doesn't. In fact, uh, it was kind of funny that when they lost the tool bag on the flight where they were servicing the uh, rotary joints on the solar arrays on the space station, that uh, it, it had to have been a joke. But the tool bag that, that went overboard was allegedly tracked and uh, with sighting opportunities projected. So. <laughs> <laughs> poor Miss Definition Piper. I mean, that, that whole thing. She was the, she was the poor. She she was the uh, the the, uh, uh, e, e, the the mission specialist that unfortunately lost that that particular bag and and all got it, it's become now a, a, a almost a oh good lord almost a, you know a point of humor, but uh, that's funny that they were able to go ahead and track that bag. <laughs> that's amazing to me. 
All right, so Glory and the X-37B hopefully launching March 4th. And with that, I think that brings this episode to its conclusion. So I'd like to thank everybody for joining us. Thank you, Gene McCulka, for joining us. Been a fun night, Sawyer. Can't wait to uh, go ahead and talk about STS-133 next week. This has so far been a great flight. Definitely. Thank you as well, Mark Ratterman. Lots to talk about. I'm glad we covered the uh, the things we have. And I didn't comment much on the audios from the tweet up because I haven't heard them. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to this show when we uh, when we get it out for the world to hear. If you can't tell, uh, all of the clips are added after we record this episode during the editing. So, <laughs> And before we go, a huge thank you to uh, Gina Hurley for, for going down to uh, uh, the Kennedy Space Center and getting some really, really cool material for us. I know she kind of really did burn the midnight oil on, on a, lot of, lot of, a lot of this stuff. So again, Gina, thanks a whole lot. Definitely. Now, before we go, there's one more fun little thing to talk about. That would be the Face in Space contest, which NASA started before the STS-133 and 134 missions. They asked you that you could send your face into space. And basically, there have been over 292,000 photographs so far for it. As of right now, that's the total. And those are onboard Discovery, and they will be onboard Endeavor heading into space. Now, there's one more contest that went on, and that was the STS-133 wake-up song. They listed the top 40 songs that had, waken up, that had woken up astronauts in the past, and they put them up to vote to see which one they would play for the STS-133 crew. You know which one won? Check the yes, I, sh- I sure do. Slayer <laughs> is actually one I voted for. You know how you'll be able to find out? You can find out the exact title and the auth- and the person who wrote the song in the show notes. Otherwise, stay tuned after the credits, and you will be able to hear it. So, with that, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are. Yeah.